Welcome to Global Outpouring. I'm Philip Buss. And I'm Sharon Buss. Today, we want to compare the ways of God with the ways of man. God has a plan for our lives, and He wants us to learn His ways. His ways are higher than our ways. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 says, And now, Israel, what does Jehovah your God require of you but to fear Jehovah your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve Jehovah your God with all your heart and with all your soul? God is looking for us to walk in his ways and to love him. That's the walk of true happiness and true joy and true peace. When we are walking with our Father, walking in His ways, knowing His ways, He gives us rules to live by that are for our protection. It's like when you have a young child, you want to have their play area in your yard to be a safe place. So you probably might want to put up a fence to protect them from going out into the street. God's ways, God's rules, God's laws, his commandments are like a fence to keep us out of oncoming traffic, (laughs) to keep us in a safe place. You know, it's like a river has banks that keep the river where it's supposed to be. And when we have a flood, it causes devastation. That's what happens when we get outside of the banks of God's rules. We, we have devastation and, and things that aren't meant to get wet, get wet. God's ways are for our good. You know, we, we talked last week about uh, the, the people in Psalm 2 that are trying to cast off the restraints of God and how God just wants, wants us to be a child that, that gets held in, in his embrace and, and walks in his life and walks in his love. He wants us to know his heart. The Lord is like a hedge round about us. Yes. And he wants us to stay in those perimeters, but he doesn't want to keep us on a leash. Yes. If a dog is on a leash, you know, it can come close to you. It can bark and all at once, but, it's, uh, but it can't hurt you. And, you know, God doesn't put us on a leash, which would be like controlling our own will. It should be our will to stay within his perimeters of don't do this, don't do that. You know, but if God put us on a leash, you know, we, we wouldn't do those things. But God doesn't put us on a leash. He wants us to stay in our own perimeters. It's that's, our free will. That's that's the goal. That's the goal. He He sets loving limits that are for our good. But he wants us to know his heart about it. You know, it's like the children of Israel. Psalm 103, 7 says that he made known his ways unto Moses and his acts unto the children of men. In other words, the children of Israel saw him do these amazing things. They saw him do all of these plagues in Egypt that that was beyond the ability of the magicians of Egypt to do. They saw him show up as a 
pillar of fire in the in the night and a pillar of cloud by day. They saw him part the Red Sea. They saw him provide water out of a rock. They saw him give manna, the uh, bread from heaven every day so that they would have something to eat in the wilderness. And he took care of them for 40 long years. And their shoes never wore out. And, yeah, and, and their or, clothes. Exactly. They saw his acts, but they didn't know his heart. Moses had to go up the mountain to meet with God because the children of Israel, after God appeared to them on the mountain and spoke the Ten Commandments for all to hear, they were too shaken to continue to have relationship with him on that level. They said, Moses, you, 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 you go talk to him. <laughs> this is too scary for us. We're, we're too scared. And while he was up there, they decided, oh, no, this Moses must be dead up there. He's, he's up there in the fire. It must have been made toast. And, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, come on, Aaron, make us some gods for us to worship. Well, when he came down from the mountain, they were busy doing their ways instead of God's ways. I mean, you know, while God had been speaking to Moses of his ways and showing him the things that God had prepared for them that love him, they're down there having a party doing fleshly stuff. When the Pharisees were coming to Jesus with their complaint about how his disciples didn't wash their hands as often as they thought they should, Jesus said, it's not about what goes into your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth from your heart. Out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murders and adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. Those are the things that defile a person. And he talked about how even looking at a woman with adultery in your heart is the same as having sex with her. God sees things differently than we do. That's the whole point here. God sees our hearts, and he wants us to have his ways in our hearts. When Jesus introduced the new covenant at the Last Supper, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you receive it in remembrance of me. And Jeremiah 31 Chapter, chapter 31, and starting with verse 31, says, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke, although I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, after those days, says the Lord, Jehovah, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So this new covenant that Jesus was talking about is a covenant that, that comes by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost, he began the process of all of these things that Jesus promised when he gave the Holy Communion. That 
he's going to write his law in our hearts. It's not like the law that was written on tables of stone. It's a law being written on our hearts. And he will be our God and we will be his people. Now, I'm not saying that we as Gentiles are replacing Israel. No, no, no. It's very clear. Paul's writings in Romans 11 spells out that we, the Gentiles, have been grafted into Israel. So because we've been grafted into Israel, we can draw from everything that is in the tree of Israel. And that's all these promises. So so we get to join in. And the other thing is that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher. Not to say that you forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Not to say that you don't need apostles and prophets and pastors and evangelists and teachers to bring maturity into the body. But that we all, when we've received the Holy Spirit, can hear things for ourselves from God. And and we can know him. And the whole idea is that we spend the rest of our lives getting to know him better because wherever we are at the end of our life here on earth, that's the level at which we will enter into heaven. There's different levels in heaven. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And his His heaven has different levels. It's, it's set up very much like the tabernacle or the temple where there's a great, huge outer court, and that's paradise. And then for the priests, there's this area that is uh, the place of sacrifice, the place where they stand between God and man, and they, they uh, offer sacrifices and, and those kind of things. And then there's the most holy place that only the high priest can go into. So in heaven, there's this area where the servants of the Lord, who've really given their lives for him and and dedicated their lives to him, that has gone beyond just accepting Jesus as their savior. These get to live in the holy city. And then there are those who are real worshipers, who are real intercessors, that spend time with God here that get to be at the throne in heaven. The glory at the throne is so intense that if you haven't practiced living in that glory on this side of eternity, you will not be prepared to be able to stand in that glory when we get there. God's ways are higher than our ways. Whose ways are in your heart? Are his ways in your heart or are you still walking in the ways of natural thinking. God wants to lift us up above those things, even though we have this treasure in earth, earthen vessels. That scripture comes from the fourth chapter of Second Corinthians. The King James says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And when we look at that word, um, earthen vessels, you know, that word vessel, you know, I just felt to look that look that up one day. You know, it's like you read this, yeah, okay, yeah, we have the presence of God in us. But when I looked it up, I got quite a surprise because it means low-grade pottery. This is what it says in the Greek. And it's like second-quality stuff. It's like when uh, if you own a store and you open a box from the manufacturer and and you have so many in a in the package, and you have one that maybe it got damaged. 
you know, and it got scratches on it. It's not, it's not the best. And so what happens if that goes on the back of the shelf, or maybe it goes back in the storeroom, and when all the other good ones are gone, we'll pull that one out. Hopefully, maybe somebody will buy it, or maybe we'll mark the price down on it as a second. You know, that's a good way to, to, to get it too. And so this relates to us as being pottery like that. And it's a picture of, you know, no, no matter what we have come out of, you know, the grace of Jesus Christ, his blood that has cleansed us, it doesn't matter what our history is. There's nothing that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot cleanse. Amen. And we look at our backgrounds and we would think, how can God ever use me? You know, just fresh out of the sin factory, you know, and we're, <laughs> you know, and, and, and we want to serve God, you know, and we have to go through this process of getting our vessel cleansed and filled with his glory all the time. And, and, and many times we, we tend to look at other people that same way as, mm-hmm. you know, they're, you know, how can that vessel, uh, how can that vessel be anointed when you, you know, like kind of look at them? Maybe they talk different and maybe mm-hmm. they look different. Maybe their manners are a little bit different or something maybe like that. Maybe they're even crude. Maybe they're even crude. Yeah. I mean, Smith Wigglesworth wasn't the most gentle man in the world. <laughs> he was a plumber. He was a plumber. And <laughs> you know how plumbers talk, you know, construction people. And God had to work stuff out of him. But uh, but his way of ministry was not uh, what you would do today. You'd be afraid you'd get a lawsuit on your yeah. hands. And, yeah. But but uh, He drop kicked a baby once. <laughs> yes. But, but the baby ended up healed and landed baby on his was feet. Healed. But it says in the scripture where, you know, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. Exactly. And when, when, you, look at, um, when you look at Samuel, he called the whole city together, you know, and, and, you know, the prophet's going to be a sacrifice. And it's like Samuel is coming and there's just kind of like fear and trembling. And, yeah. OK, what's going to happen now? You know, the prophet has come into the room and. Is he going to call something out? He knows I did something wrong. I'm not living right, you know. And, but but what he did, he went to Jesse, and says, "I want your I want your sons to be here," and so he goes through his sons one at a time. He looks at them, and Samuel looks at him. Surely this this one is one, and the Lord says, "No, I've rejected him." Yeah. And he goes to another one, and says, "Surely this is the one." And says, no, he looks good. He looks good. I've nope. I've not accepted him, and so he goes through all eight of his boys, and there's nobody left. And Samuel just says, "Is there not one more son?" And he says, "Well, yeah. There's the one that keeps the sheep." And I think in the Message Bible it says, "There's the runt." Yeah, the runt of the litter. The runt of the litter. You know, he was the kind of the low caste of the family. You know, he might have even been the son of a concubine rather than the son of the, the mother of the same of the other boys. Because his hair was different. His hair was was red. I think when you read in this, the scriptures. Yeah. And so he did not fit the mold. And so he's out there keeping the sheep, worshiping the Lord. And and that's where he met God was uh, was out there. Now, if anybody would have had a rejection complex, it would yeah. have been it would have been David. Sure. Because here he is. You know, all you know, his all his eight brothers, you know, don't want to have anything to do with them. But he was a treasure in an earthen vessel, and it's just like the Holy Spirit. You know, it's, you know, he's the king of the universe. You know, the Holy Spirit was there when, 
when you read in the book of Genesis when the, when the earth was spoken to existence when when the, the, when uh, Jehovah breathed on the face of the waters he mm-hmm. blew the breath the spirit you know blew the spirit so this Holy Spirit fills the universe yes. he's everywhere yet he's small enough to squeeze inside of us isn't that Hallelujah. amazing isn't that amazing on every believer on the face of the earth that accepts him it's just like he's everywhere he's everywhere <laughs> <laughs> the holy spirit is everywhere it's just tuning into him but it's being in that place even like david did as a heart of a worshiper heart of the king where we can hear from god and the more time we spend in the presence of the lord you know the more the holy spirit will will speak to us and the, the more we will hear his voice amen amen what was that scripture we were reading this morning First Corinthians chapter 2, that talks about the difference between the wisdom of men and the power of God. The power of God is so amazing. It, it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. God wants us to understand the difference. We have to understand this. We have to see it. However, verse 6, we speak wisdom among them that are mature, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that came to nothing. The Passion Translation says they are in the process of being dethroned. (laughs) But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It's like they were were jumping up and down, these, these demonic princes, Princes saying that that we finally got him. We're crucifying Jesus, and and God's plan is finished, and we win. We get to take over the world. But they didn't understand that God had a plan that had been hidden as a mystery from before the foundation of the world, before the before the world was even created. It says that Jesus was the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. So God already had the plan before he said, let there be light. He had the plan because he, he foreknew what all of our choices were going to be, good, bad, or stupid. He knew what our choices were going to be, and he worked it out ahead of time for all things to work together for good to them that love him, to them that are the called according to his purpose. But it says here that the, if the princes of this world had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they had known that this was going to be their demise, they would never have crucified him. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered or arisen into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. That's, it's written in Isaiah just just like that. But then Paul goes on to say something even better. 
But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. That word search uh, it comes from the same Greek word where we get the word sonar, oh. where we're sounding the depths of the mysteries of God. God wants us to know his deep things. He wants us to, to know him. He wants us to know his heart, not for the idea of, well, I know the mysteries of God. No, it's so that we can have fellowship with him, that we can walk with him, that we can be like him. Remember how Enoch walked with God and was not because God took him. He walked with God. He had God's ways in his heart. When we have God's ways in our heart, we will walk with him. Um, Some of the translations now are using the word highway. We have his highway in our heart. You know, when you're on a highway in our era, a highway is a place that you can go faster. Mm Mm-hmm especially like a limited access highway, like an, like an interstate. No lights. No lights. You know, There's no lights. There's no intersections where you have to stop and look and listen, and you can just go. But in biblical times, a highway was called a highway because it was a road that had been built up so that when it rained, the water would wash off into the lower land, and the, and the highway itself would drive faster and, and stay more stable so that you wouldn't have to be slogging through mud. And more likely, it was a trade route. Yes, exactly. And so God wants us to understand his ways. He wants to reveal his ways to us in the same way that he revealed his ways to Enoch, in the same way that he revealed his ways to Moses, in the same way that he revealed his ways to Jesus. You know, Jesus himself had to learn the ways of his father. But all of these people got there by spending time with him, spending time in his presence. What happens when we spend time in his presence? Second Corinthians chapter 3 talks about how Moses had to have a veil over his face so that the children of Israel couldn't look steadfastly on him because of the of the glory that was on him. He was glowing from being in the presence of God, physically glowing because of his relationship. And then verse 17 says, now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You know, we've got people that are trying to throw off the constraints of God so that they can have freedom. But the only freedom you're really going to get is when you get into the freedom of the Spirit. That same verse in the Passion Translation is, we can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And you know, that word transformed is metamorpho. And we know the word metamorphosis. You know, that's when that, that, uh, that's when that caterpillar, you know, just kind of creeps along on the ground, you know, forms a cocoon, and it just stays in there for a while. And then emerges a beautiful butterfly or moth or butterfly or whatever, whatever is in it. 
but it is changed. That is a total transformation. And, and I have an expression written in my Bible. It's, you know, in, uh, for that verse, we're cocooning with God. Yes. We're in his cocoon. You know, all wrapped up. You know, we can't see out. And nobody can see in. But we're the ones that have to make the cocoon. Yes. You know, that's we're the right. ones that have to decide, I'm going to do this. It's time to do this. And we don't want anybody to bother us until we're done. <laughs> yeah, because if you open up that cocoon while it's in the process, it's just going to be green goo, and it'll it'll never become a butterfly. You have to leave it alone. Yeah. But we're changed. We're transformed. We're transfigured. That's It's the same word that was used to describe Jesus on the day of transfiguration, on that, when he took three of his disciples up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and he was changed in front of them. As Philip was saying about the word metamorpho, the lexical aids to the New Testament in the Hebrew-Greek Key Study Bible refers to, it's used of Jesus' transfiguration on the Mount, involving the miracle of transformation from an earthly form into a supernatural, which is denoted by the radiance of the garments, also the countenance, suggesting what the bodies of the righteous may be like in the age to come. In Romans 12.2 and 2 Corinthians 3.18, the idea of transformation refers to an invisible process in Christians which takes place or begins to take place already during their life in this age. And then there's another word for change that is metaschematizo. The difference between metaschematizo and metamorpho is best illustrated in this way. If one were to change a Dutch garden into an Italian one, this would be metaschematizo. But if one were to transform a garden into something wholly different, as into a ball field, it is metamorpho. It is possible for Satan to metaschematizo, transform himself into an angel of light. That is, he can change his whole outward semblance. But to any such change, it would be impossible to apply the word metamorpho, for this would imply an internal change, a change not of appearance, but of essence which lies beyond his power. This transformation that comes in us when we cocoon ourselves with our Father changes us from glory to glory to glory. But it's an inner change. It's not enough to change on the outside. The change has to come from the inside out. When we begin our relationship with the Lord, the Holy Spirit begins to work with us about changing our heart about things and transforming the ways that we think. He wants us to come up higher in our thinking. Romans 12, 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. And that's the same word, metamorpho. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, you have to learn to think differently. You can't think according to the ways of the world. You can't think according to the ways that you were taught unless you were taught the ways of God. But doing the stuff on the outside without having an inner transformation doesn't give you any good results for eternity. The only way that you get good results for eternity is when you overcome from the heart, where 
your innermost thoughts are, Lord, I want you. I want to serve you. I want to do things your way. Please help me, Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will help us. And we just have to practice transforming our minds, renewing our minds, that we may be able to prove what is that good and pleasing and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is where we walk in the ways of God. This is where we walk in his paths, in his highways, when we get them into our hearts. Whose ways are in your heart today? Let's step up into a higher place to get us ready for that amazing thing that God is about to do all around us in transforming us so that we can be transformers of the atmosphere around us. And as we are transforming the atmosphere around us, it will affect the whole social structure of the people that we are with when we let the Holy Spirit have his way as our Father pours out his Spirit upon all flesh in this great global outpouring. Amen. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread the good news of God's global outpouring. Check out our website at globaloutpouring.org to find out more information, connect with us, get a link to our Facebook page and our YouTube channel. You can browse our online bookstore for amazing anointed material. Until next time, this is Sharon Buss. And I'm Philip Buss. God bless you with his overwhelming, loving presence.